to another episode of The People's Game. How are you, Casey? Good to see you. Very well, thank you, Jeff. But, so, this is just a question, and I can tell what Gordo's responsibility is. Sorry, I'm going to try Is it worth having a floating fixture for the last three rounds? So that we can actually, like we do with round 23, put the games that matter in the right time slots and work on the basis that it's going to be too hard to know and predict from round one. Yeah, it's an interesting question um, because I can see, like I can see arguments for both really, but then I think in terms of logistics for ticket sales, scheduling and just organisation around having so many floating fixtures, I think would actually be a nightmare to manage. Um, And I think I kind of just like the idea of having just a set fixture, you know that it's, and I mean, we've... (laughs) The conversation about like the Richmond West Coast one is an interesting one and the Richmond Brisbane thing too because like you can't ever predict what the season is going to look like even if you try. But I kind of just like the idea of, you know, let's just set it out and just treat each game as what it is and if the AFL have got it wrong or there is surprise packets and some teams are less exciting than what we thought and some are more exciting, like that's just kind of like you just have to sit with that and just treat it for like it is and just enjoy that kind of ride. Um, I don't, I don't really want to see more floating fixtures because I like to know when games are from the outset. I like to make plans, um, but that's just me. Yeah, it'd be impossible to have a floating fixture for travelling fans as well. Correct. So, unless you want to do it from like the buy rounds, you would have to make schedule the first, schedule the first ten, get to the buy rounds, then schedule the next fifteen, like whatever. Yeah, it's just that it literally. I don't know if I'll be moving from in front of the TV, other than to go to that game this weekend. It's a bumper. Mm. Like so, Lions v Cats for top spot is huge. Pretty much every game, other than the Friday night game, has broader resonance and context. So Pies v Crows, Pies want to try and make the four. The Crows are trying to cling on to the eight. Frio v Dons are both. They're both still in the hunt. GWS and the Dogs, they're both still in the hunt. North and Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide need to really show if they're actually going to continue to turn up week after week. Carlton v St Kilda is really about the Teague train because I think if Teague's going to get the job, he probably wants to tick the win off. And then the Hawks v Suns, which is now the Ruffy farewell. Mm, yeah. So pretty much every game there other than Friday night is an absolute must watch. It's hard to watch them all. There's going to be a lot of catch up having to be watched. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It. it is. It's got a very like... The, the, and I know that I've kind of whinged about Richmond not playing West Coast, but there is a nice feel to the fact that we're getting to the business end and we have these finals-like games, which are like mini-finals. Yeah. yeah. And I know Adelaide on the weekend against West Coast, Adam Simpson said in his presser that that had a, a finals-like feel. So you kind of get out of that. It's almost like the reverse, inverse bell curve where you dip into winter and mm. you can then see the first embers of September starting <laughs> to light up. And that's kind of What's what we're the into What's the smell of jasmine in the air? Something like that. Something romantic. Yeah. For me, so it's beautiful. just hay fever kicking off, so it's not really <laughs> that romantic, like freshly mown grass. But that's kind. Of, it, it is in a way, as much as it's. I think it's silly that Richmond haven't played West Coast earlier. Mm. The fact that there are so many games with broader context and so many ladder positions still potentially going to move, yeah, particularly around the bottom half of the eight, um, I think makes it a particularly exciting weekend. Definitely, and I think you know, like those conversations about teams playing earlier or playing each other twice. Like we know, like. The fixture is not equitable. It's not fair. So I think you just have to 
take that on board from a fan and just buy into the unpredictability of it and you just have to let that go because until we we, I know ever go down the road of reducing the amount of games just so everyone plays each other once and it is completely fair but then you know even if you do that you've got to decide like home games and away games are different venues so our draw is never going to be completely equal for everyone so when you get these scenarios where we do get to the pointy end of the season and teams haven't played each other yet and you are smelling the jasmine like it is exciting and I think that's where our the way we do our fixture can be really fun so yes it's unfair but also these like little nuggets of rounds come along every now and then and it's really fun it's worked out dreamily for the AFL of course Your pie, Casey. You lead us off with a pie. Do you, can my go, you can go hot, hot, hot or cold pie, first. Cold pie. You can go either. Mm, all right, I'll go my hot pie because I'm still dreaming about it, it's to not be really honest. A pie, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> it's a piping hot burger that I had at the footy. Um, went down to the Vaffa on Saturday afternoon to see the Roy Boys play um, against uh, St. Bede's Mentone, which was great. Um, it was the first time that I got down to the Vaffa for about 10 rounds, so I'd missed quite a bit of the season this year, so that was exciting. Managed to fit it in and went and got one of the famous Fitzroy burgers from their barbecue, which was just divine. So I don't know how much of the football that I actually watched. Um, I was just mostly had my face just in that burger, having the time of my life. Get down there and have one of their burgers, everyone. Support the Roy Boys. Went down with you, did enjoy it. A little bit cold, a little bit nippy, very muddy. It was very muddy. It was so cold. It was very cold. <laughs> I did well to make it to, what, halfway through the third quarter before I decided I was going to head for the hills. Yeah, <laughs> you failed really early. <laughs> you needed your coffee. You needed to hold something warm. <laughs> oh, it was icy cold, though. It was so cold, yes. Like, um, really, really bad. Yeah, and there's just no protection down there at Brunswick Street Oval. It's so open. But, I mean, I think that's sort of the... Um, I guess you can kind of like. You're about to say romanticism, aren't you? Yeah, I'm trying to think of like another word. <laughs> it's like it's just no. romantic. That is just because you can. It's is... not romantic at the time when you're there and you're it's hating not it. Looking back at it, either. <laughs> it's not. It was actually. Um... No, I find Brunswick Street Oval very romantic. That stand is I just gorgeous. Smell the the ghost of Hayden Bunton walking around. <laughs> He's in the burger. He's not in the burger. He's not in the, oh the Hayden Bunton Hayden burger. Hayden Bunton was not in my burger. Is that what they call their burger? The Hayden Bunton burger? Uh, the Bunton burger? I don't believe so. Well, no, that would be a bacon Bunton. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> but I must say, though, it is a nice place. I took the camera down, and it's a nice place to be taking photos. Because mm. you kind of get some nice, you get the nice backdrop of the city from one side and then the grandstand from the other. Yeah. But you also get kind of those old, like um, the trees next to the ground with their kind of old leaves. And then it was really good light as well because the weather was doing all sorts of Melbourneian things. Mm. And then like even terraced houses in the background is a bit of a novelty. Yeah, it's so, a lovely spot. Yeah, it's a and nice it's just, place. It's just good like – like Vaffa footy is just good because it's good vibes. Like once you sort of hang around a football club enough and you start to recognise people and see people too, it's just so friendly and lovely and everyone has a chat and people just come up to you and say hello and um, – it's just really nice. Like everyone has their dogs there. Everyone comes up with their puppies. You like, you know, get to chat to people that way. Like I love that stuff about local footy. There were some lovely puppies. There but were. But I've, I've got a behavioural question for the pod. So I wore a Brisbane Bears scarf to a Footscray, <laughs> to, a Fitz, to, a Footscray to a Fitzroy Vaffa game. Yes, mm-hmm. you did. Is that taboo? Well, I is think that would... insensitive? 
I think it's a bit insane. Bit on the nose. Um. <laughs> I thought bit... it was similar to the. Oh, oh, this is the right colours. I'll run with it. It's cold. Yeah. It's like. It's like being friends with your mate's ex and then bringing them to a party, like. And like, and, like, being like, oh, well, we're friends, so that's okay, isn't it? And then, like, well, no, because there's a bounce of history between the two of us. Mm, you're bringing up, You're bringing up old wounds. Especially when you look at, like, the continuation of the Roy Boys. Like, it's the, it's the actual link between what was an AFL club and is now a VAFA club. And you're like, oh, but you know those guys that stole you? You took them up there and they won a bunch of flags and kind of basically forgot about your existence. Yeah, this is did the they? club that did. They did. <laughs> do you reckon? I don't think Brisbane do a bad job of keeping Fitzroy history alive. They they do a good they job. They do as well as they could. But like it's a pretty tough gig. Yeah. Well, Sydney do a much better job with South Melbourne, but maybe a debate for another time. Mm. Yes, well, perhaps next time we go down to Brunswick Street Oval, we'll just leave that one at home. You have a Roy Boys top you could have worn. Yeah, sorry, I was not even wishing. I was not walking around in a white T-shirt. I understand you, you the sentiment. Go, you can go thermals on the knees. No, no. I no. saw the photos, mate. They were out there in short sleeves doing their Clarko's, their Clarko coaches proud. Okay, <laughs> and also I have a problem with the the no long sleeves thing just because it's cold. That's fucking ridiculous. If I was playing anywhere in the world on Saturday, I was long sleeves. And that makes you weak, and you would have lost. No, that that's nineteen eighties ridiculous logic. Uh, who out won of out of Hawthorne and the Giants? The Giants were there being like, "Ooh, it's cool. We oh. can't play footy." And oh my Hawthorne God. were there being like. Yeah, whatever. We love snow. Bring it on. That's so mean. If you build it, he will come. So my hot pie is a cornfield, actually, a cornfield in Iowa. So it has been announced this week that the Major League Baseball, or Major League Baseball, will be playing a game at you know, in Dyersville in Iowa next year in a diamond built or based on the one that features in the film Field of Dreams. So it'll be the White Sox versus the Yankees. Uh, this is a really interesting, like, popular culture baseball crossover because they're building, a, like, a boutique 10,000-seat stadium with glass walls at the back so everyone can see the corn. Other than the fact that this would set my previously mentioned hay fever off, is there kind of room for something like this in... Aussie rules. Like, we don't really have a movie with the folklore. And we felt really kind of not great when the dogs wore the um, the, the, Thor, the Marvel, the Thor yeah. Guernsey. Mm. So, like, where does this kind of sit in your reckoning with something that might happen here? We don't have, we don't have like, a authentic, in air quotes, pop culture reference. Like, that is a movie about baseball in a cornfield. Even that, to me, is still a bit like, this is pretty naff. Like, I don't, <laughs> Do you reckon? Like, to build it, like, it just sounds like a like a pretty poor excuse for someone to get a new stadium. Like, does Iowa need a new stadium? Who's paying for the stadium? Like, it seems a bit silly to custom build it for one major league game. Assumedly, this will become there, an ongoing there, event. But, like, well, but even then, like, is there a minor league tennis on the plane for the rest of the year? It's going to be just with this random stadium in the middle of a cornfield, which gets used once a year. TBC. Mm. But, like, is there, yeah, is there a movie... I mean, the merger, the club. <laughs> yeah, the club, the merger. They're all based in current Collingwood Inside Out. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think they already have a facility. Victoria Park. Um, let's not go back there. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean. Okay, so let's change. Sorry, case to cut you off. Let's change the thanks. dimensions of the conversation. <laughs> Could you, do we like? And I know it's been flagged. Do you want retro round? Would we? Should we have a retro round? Would you be willing to pay four hundred dollars to go see it? 
I reckon I'd pay that much to go see Richmond at Punt Road once. Yeah. You would pay $400 to see a random Richmond game at Punt Road. No, we'd be playing Collingwood, wouldn't we? Well, no, because Collingwood would want to play at Victoria Park. Well, yeah, but that can be next year. But then it's different too because you've got access to that sort of stuff already. Like, you know, you go watch the VFL, the VFLW, which, I mean, I know it's not the same, but, like, you still have that experience of being there, whereas this is a completely different example of someone trying to replicate something out of fiction to bring it into, like, bring that Mm. fantastical element into the real life, whereas I don't think we have anything that's really comparable to that in our footy culture. So, like, the... That's where I get, like, the Marvel stuff kind of I was anti that stuff because I think that's trying to manufacture a relationship with something that's not there, whereas the Field of Dreams thing was already a baseball movie. It already mm. had, like, that – like, that. it's oh, – I don't know how, how to explain it, but, like, I don't know. That it was already baseball is probably all I'm trying to say. Whereas like Marvel superheroes and Disney movies have nothing to do with football. Like that's a really manufactured correct. relationship. Even it's though you could, com. yeah, it's just and like we got we got renamed. Correct. Let's keep the sponsors happy. Yeah, and I, you could argue that this um, field of dreams things is a commercial thing too. Like obviously oh, it has it to be. Yeah. Um, but it sits better with me from the context of it because it does have a bit of a relationship mm. there to fans' experiences because I think a lot of baseball fans would have an experience with the film Field of Dreams as well. So does that come across if you were just watching that game on telly? Because if it's a 10,000-seat ballpark, much like you say, everyone thinks the retro round's a great idea. Are we all going to think it's a great idea when we can't get a ticket to go watch the game in the boutique venue and we want to go? So, like, is that, like, I, I can't imagine how much tickets for this game are actually going to be. Yeah, well, that'd be interesting. Because if you had question. any sort of money and you were like, you know what, I'm going to go to an MLB game. You'd be like, oh, that'd be pretty cool. I'll go to that one and I can afford it because it's a grand ticket. Mm. Like everyday Joe is not, you know, every everyday Joe who lives and works in Dyersville in Iowa is not probably going to get a ticket at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's not really like, okay, look, oh, it looks great for nostalgia and the people, but it's not really for the people. No. No. If you're going to be really honest about it, it's about MLB making money. Like that's the only reason why they would have done it. They would have done all the research and done all the diagnostics for it and been like, yeah, cool. That will be a return on investment on that on that building. Yeah. And there's also a bit of jazz that they're I mean, they're doing some jazzy stuff in terms of trying to play games in different cities and play games overseas and so kind of already fits into that broader experimentation that they've got running. Mm. Um, which is not not I mean, we're obviously experimenting with Shanghai and the AFL, but they've probably got a broader lens of doing that recently. Yeah. Yeah. And more people know what baseball is. Correct. It's, it's a true. much more universal game. Yeah, I'd like to see the plans for this stadium moving forward because I imagine that exhibition game, or no, it's not, is it regular season game they're playing there? Regular season. Um, that will be really inaccessible to your average fan. But if they're going to have it there as a permanent fixture and if they have plans for it to use it for like local community or for you know, little league games or for kids or for schools or whatever, then I think it's that's really cool. But if it is going to be like a very standalone MLB only use venue, then that's mm. interesting. So I yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd like to keep my eye on that a bit more. I haven't seen anything about it being used for minor leagues. Mm. But I, I mean, I would imagine that if it's being used once every year, then that would be a logical thing. And that would make it more, far more beneficial in my eyes. If you were giving a local major league team a sick park in a cornfield. Yeah, for sure. And I think the commercial element there is to, keep using it like that's only for their benefit of MLB so Mm. and even just the optics of using it for other sort of 
don't know, local community engagement things is going to be a huge win for them. So it'd be interesting to see if that is the path they go down because something like that that has those ties back to nostalgia and the community and in an area like Iowa I think is a really cool thing to do if that is their plan. So, yeah, I'd be keen to keep an eye on that. I'm Bruce. I don't know whether you can believe this. Getting snow chains fitted to their boots <laughs> just in case it got any heavier. And it is getting heavier. Believe me. Look at the players having a bit of a... They're loving it. <laughs> yep. It sort of used to this, though, the Hawks uh, players going down to Tassie a fair bit. So not foreign. Not, obviously, the snow is foreign, but cold conditions. Yes, Ali, we agree with you there. Oh, Casey, give me your cold pie for the week. My cold pie was very, very cold. Very Ice cold. cold. Ice Snowy cold. Snowy cold. Frozen? <laughs> Almost frozen. Well, if you were in Canberra, I think you were definitely frozen. But that is going to be my quick little cold pie. Wait, is, is this um... a cold pie or a hot pie? I'm not sure which way this is going and the temperature's really thrown me. Oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> um, so my quick little cold pie is just... Um, I was watching the game on Friday night and obviously got very excited when I saw it starting to snow. And to me as a football fan and I, someone who doesn't really see snow that much, like I know I live quite close to the snow mountains here in Victoria, but I don't really go there. I got really excited and I thought it was really cool. And I love the commentators getting around it. I took to social media like many other people and tweeted, oh my God, it's snowing. And I thought that was really fun. But then my cold pie is just the people who I thought were just being a bit too cool, sort of snapping back at a few people, just saying things on social media like, oh, apparently it's snowing in Canberra. And what did you think it was going to be like in Canberra at this time of year in the middle of winter? And I just thought, come on, guys, just let us have fun with this because it's it snowing snow, at the let footy. Let it snow, let it snow. And it was out of the ordinary and it was different and it was weird to see and it was just cool, like literally cool. Um, and I just get a bit frustrated with fans sometimes when they try and like take the fun out of people's online experiences when they're trying to have like a bit of a collective moment over something like that. Like if you think it's lame, just don't participate. Just let us all have our fun. So Gordon, what did you think of the snow? Oh, I was like, I didn't care. But also I didn't go out and tweet and just go and like shit on people's dreams. Like <laughs> if you wanted to like enjoy the snow, fair play to you. But like it always snows in Canberra. Like it's, it's a snowy place. It's it's not it's not a it's not a very notable thing. Like we talk about West Coast bias all the time. That just shows that like you don't care about Canberra. Like you didn't know it snows in winter. Like, and it's also like I follow other I follow other codes and like I've seen the Raiders play in the snow. I've seen the Brumbies play in the snow. So it's like it snows. So I didn't I didn't care. But like, cool. Like if you want to freak out about it, go go nuts. Make the snowman. So you're definitely Laurel I Gilmore first snow of the season. Hundred percent. And you're Luke. Who's then going out <laughs> and like shoveling the snow and complaining about it and going, it's just no, fucking, it's just fucking I'm ice. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying, cool, it's just snowing. Like I just didn't, it just didn't matter. I mean, so I, I like, yeah, it was cute. And then the thing is when I first saw snow in London, I was like, oh, this is cute. But after. It also wasn't snow. Like, no, it was sleet. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah, sure. But after about, <laughs> like, whatever. It, it wasn't like it wasn't like watching Arsenal and Chelsea play in the middle of uh, middle of the Christmas period. Okay. Where now it just you're just like down reading snow. people's tweets no, that no, were no. coming back at but me like, on Friday night, Gordon. <laughs> no, but like genuinely, like it, I was like, oh my god, Australians think this is snow. Was kind of well, again, not all Australians either. Not all. It's just, not it's all just a small part of Twitter 
thought it was snow. But they enjoyed but, but, it. You like you would. Sorry. People knew it wasn't proper snow, but we don't see that in footy that often. It was just out of the ordinary and it was yeah. awesome to see. So just stop hating on no, it. No, but everyone. like they weren't gonna go and have a snowball fight at half time. No, but no like, one knew like that. No that's one was what building it, a snowman. No one was saying that though. Everyone no, was just I'm like, just This saying. is crazy. And yes, we don't pay enough attention to Canberra weather, whatever. But also, like I watch every football game and I've never seen that happen before and I just thought it was cool. Okay. Australia's richest athlete is picking up extra cash courtesy of the Victorian taxpayer while on holiday in his home city. Ben Simmons is promoting tourism on his Instagram account, but the state government refuses to reveal how much it's paying. Dougal Beatty with the story. So my cold pie this week was tall poppy syndrome in Australia. So I think it's really interesting how quickly... Uh, some sections of the media have been to jump on Ben Simmons. And there are a couple of different headlines about this that I just thought were very um, selective in what they chose to highlight about his trip to Australia. So there was one from Seven News Sydney, which basically called him out for charging kids $200 to attend his super clinic in Sydney. Um, There was a whole tweet and a news story based around that clinic. We then had Kane Corns, who basically just told him that he needed to go back to America. Alan Jones said much the same. Um... And I just kind of wondered, like, we picked those things out. We forgot the fact that he ran a kid a clinic through helping hoops for 30 um, disadvantaged kids. He visited a hospital on behalf of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. He's not, like, out of the realms of what an Australian sports star coming home would do. And this vitriol that's kind of been directed and these demands for him to just piss off back to America, just they're just ridiculous. Um, and so uh, Vince Regari, who's a soccer journalist, basically tweeted that you can just see the machine going to work and I just think that like if I was Ben Simmons and I kind of saw this I'd be like well maybe I won't go to Australia next off season I just it just really kind of yeah Mm. I woke up this morning and was kind of reading through some of this on Twitter and I was like this is really great yeah I agree I hate this stuff um because I think we just have such a sense of I don't know how you want to term people who leave Australia and become successful in any field but you know these sort of these exports we give to the rest of the world, I guess, is we just have such a sense that they they owe us and Mm. we're the reason that they succeed. And, like, this is a very collective we, I guess. Um, And they don't owe us anything. Um, You know, I think most of our athletes or actors or scientists or professors, whoever, go and do other things abroad are usually very good representatives of our country and are very successful. And I think that's enough, like, what more do they have to give? And like you said, it's usually they do give a lot, but it's not as reported as when they do something that we perceive to mm. be not enough. Um, like, I mean, the charging for a junior clinic thing, like, oh, my God, he has a complete right to charge for something that he is putting on and working. Like, this is work. And he I hate that. He also wouldn't have made any money from that. Oh, exactly 200 right. 200 bucks is so cheap for a clinic, considering you get, like, a, you get, what, shoes, shirt, a ball, like, like they just and then yeah, like his the clinic, time. Yeah, but also like it's not his clinic. Like he is there, mm. and people put on the clinic for him. You get told by whatever yeah, sponsors do it. That's show right. up and do the like. Just it's shows a massive him. ignorance around the whole thing. And yeah. Like, yeah, and just the ignorance, just comparing it back to his contract or what he's earning. Yeah, saying, "Oh, you got enough money, you should be charging." It's like that's just, not how it works. That's like, exactly right. Like that is his money. He's earned that money. Yeah. That's his from his career. Like he doesn't owe us a percentage yeah. of his salary. I don't know. And then people got pissed off at him for visiting, like, because he was at Richmond. 
and he yeah. went to an Essendon game and then he was getting a jumper from oh, Christian Petrarca. And I'm like, yeah. if I was an AFL player and I was in an AFL club or if I was an AFL mm. club and I could have one of Australia's best export athletes who's used to being in a high profile environment in a different sport come in and talk to my players, I would jump at that opportunity. But also we had Natalie Portman like parading around in a demon's top. No one was saying, oh, jog back off. But yeah, you're right. Like if, when it's an international you know, superstar in quotations, yeah. like we do try to, we bring them in, we welcome them. Like, isn't Australia the best? And we have this game down here that you don't know about, but yeah. it's so awesome. But when it's the other way around and people are coming back, yeah. we're just so quick to hate. It's yeah. really horrible. And so the darker side to this is I believe he features in or has been really publicly supportive of the Australian dream. Yeah, he's the new a Adam producer. Stocko. So that's mm-hmm. number one. Mm. Um, and again, I haven't seen that doco, so I won't go too broadly into that. Number two is the the Crown Casino incident. Yeah. Now, there was an incident on the same day in Adelaide where an Adelaide nightclub was found to be turning away um, two ex-Zimbabwean refugees of colour simply because they were of colour. So this is clearly an issue. Mm-hmm. And so we missed an opportunity to kind of, we kind of went, oh, God, was he racially discriminated against? And missed an opportunity to have a conversation around why Ben Simmons would perceive that as being racially motivated for him mm-hmm. to be turned away. So we kind of completely missed that that conversation completely. Now, I don't know the intricacies of what happened in that incident, but again, it just kind of got to this point of not really anyone taking the time to try and understand his point of view. And I'm not necessarily going out here and saying that he was correct, but we didn't really even consider it. We were so quick to jump and just shut it down straight away. The worst part is he'll go back to America. If he if he's MVP next year and, and the 76ers win... The championship will be like, wow, what a great achievement for Australia. Mm -hmm. We'll be like, oh, because you're over there. We'll be like, oh, come in here, Ben Simmons, you bloody legend. Of course. (laughs) It's just fickle, isn't it? (laughs) It's so fickle. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it happens far too much in Australian sport with the export sportsmen. Baseball. Basketball. Inner dog. Short shorts. So, the people's question this week. Can the AFL be trusted to tell their own stories? So, this has come from an article by Robert Wynn, who was a member of, I guess, the underground, not underground, but the stats cohort of fans in Australian rules. It's called Off the Mark. Um, Unfortunate trends in footy land. And it's really starts with the accessibility of data to the average AFL fan. So, Gordo, you deal with champion data through work. So I want to kind of get your take, first of all, on what is available to the everyday human in terms of data. Yeah. So, yeah, what's available is what's on all the apps. So on the Footy Live app, all that kind of stuff. So that's, you're available to see it. You're not really available to have access to it, though. So that's kind of the difference is that, like, the, the areas of control is that you can find it. You can see the numbers. You can see, like, how a game yeah, is being uh, uh, recorded. But you can't do anything with that data or not like legally. Like so most people that in this under like underground, but that's kinda of what it is. This uh subset of, of fans that are like quants or nerds or whatever that like to play around with stats, you end up having to build your own like scraping tool to scrape it off a website or scrape it off an app or whatever to get access to it. Because the cost of it's prohibitive to like for a fan to go, I'd like to use this data. And it's not like in the States where you have, you know, baseball prospectus or basketball prospectus or NFL stats or whatever. And where you can just go, it's an open source data system. There's none of that. There's not, none of that available to fans in Australia for AFL. 
Or how does that restrict what we're able to do? And how does that, does that hold the game back? Does it hold fan engagement back? Well, it holds a certain, like that specific example holds back a, a certain subset of fan engagement. And it holds the game back in the sense that you look at you look at the like the American model is probably the best example of this. But even in even in like a European football, things like expected goals, things like uh, win and war and sabermetrics and all those kind of things started off with people sitting at home, being nerds, being like, oh, if you did, did you if you did this and you did this and you found this trend, oh, this is how you can predict something or you can tell something about something or you can tell a different story or you could uh, disprove a myth or whatever. But if you're not if you don't have access to the information, then it's very hard to, to go and try and explain those different statements or try and write a new story or try and start a new narrative or come up with a new theory on the game or whatever. Um, and which is kind of why, you know, we don't, we have this like paradox of like, we wish footy was back like it was in the old days. Cause we don't have this, like we don't have this wealth of information to go completely new age, but we've gone to a certain stage where you can't really go back. So, like, we have lots of coaches. We have lots of assistant coaches. We have all that stuff. So we, we've gone down the professionalism route to a point. And now we're in this, like, hazy middle ground where only the guys on the inside get to, like, decide how the game is played, even if there are people on the outside that could come up with new ways of seeing things. Which kind of restricts us from the Moneyball-style sabermetrics revolution happening, which was all fan-led yeah. by Bill James and came out of publications like Baseball Prospectus. So... I guess one of the things that's come out of the threads that have emerged because of this article is whether as an everyday fan, you have a right to have knowledge about the game that's being played and that you're supporting. So do fans actually have a claim on the data? That's an interesting question. So it's, it's interesting that you never have to, like, it's, it's interesting what you do and don't have to like pay for in the media and like what is like copyrighted. And so like scores and things are open source. Like, so everyone's allowed to know the score. Everyone's allowed to, you know, to use it. No one owns the score. It's an event. And so that's technically how open, like, public information works. Like, if it's an event, there's no, there's no copyright around it. It just, it's a thing that happened. And that's technically what stats are. Like, from a philosophical standpoint, a kick is just an event. It happened, you recorded it. Now, the fact that someone has, like, a company had to pay to record that stat happening is, is the issue that boils down to it. So, like, do fans have the right to stats sure but like you just go take them yourself like that's that's where that right kind of stops so like if your if your issue is like as a as a subset of a fan is like i want to have all the stats well then your only answer really is well take them yourself go to the game get your pen out get writing i think where the where the issue is it's, it's short-sighted in my opinion from the afl and champion data to say well it's a business so you have to pay for any depth of information because it prevents people from having the ability to go. And it's not like in other sports where if you subscribe to a certain level, you get more stats. So they go, yes, this, there's a cost involved. There's a cost in, in uh, managing it, cost in collecting it. There's a cost in all these different bits and pieces. But if it's NFL, NBA, or NHL baseball, I can subscribe to something for a reasonable amount. It's, it's not cheap. Like I think most of my subscriptions are hundreds of dollars a quarter or whatever. But I know that I use it. I know that it interests me. So it's no different to having like a Netflix account or whatever. But we don't have that option as a fan in AFL. The only thing you get at the moment is you can go to Stats Pro if you're a Telstra customer. But even then, you can't buy it. You have to be a Telstra customer. Like there's no, there's like, so in terms of being a business, there's a business in my, again, in my opinion, there's a business model there waiting to be used. You have an engaged 
subset audience that are willing to pay overs for something that doesn't really mm. have a value other than the labor cost. And there's no competitor. So in other in other in other sports, there are competitors that make these things cheaper because they're trying to get better process, get better deals for their uh, for their customers. This is a monopoly. One company owns it, and half of that is, company is owned by the AFL themselves. So it gets a bit murky in the sense of yeah, like if the fan will ever be thought about it from that sense. And so one of the things that comes up in the win article is an article that was written on afl.com.au by Mark McGowan, who is the AFL stats guru, Mm -hmm. who basically wrote this great article about how Brisbane have the ability to score in different ways and the versatility to score from different sources and have adapted that and how they move the ball against different teams. The example that Wynn uses in his article is basically, if you wanted to go and do the same analysis on West Coast, you can't do that personally. You're beholden to a journalist going out and deciding to do it. It would be so easy if, if you could just subscribe to a data set which is all it is. And go and search it. And then just go and run a query yourself. Yeah. And you pay for the privilege like you do for anything else. Yeah. So that that's the part that I think people get annoyed about, whether you're a quant, whether you're a, a fan, whether you're a fantasy nerd, whether you're a gambler, whether you're a journalist, whether you're a publication or a business. Like there is, there are things, there are things and there are markets and there are spaces in the fan community that want this information, that want these stories, that want the ability to tell them themselves and are willing to pay for the privilege. And can't. And can't. Yeah. And even that process from a journalistic perspective feels a lot like submitting an FOI. Hmm. And it, it sort of, I remember, I hark back to something that Conrad said when we spoke to him, and he obviously spent that year inside Richmond, which is what we spoke to him about. Hmm. And he kind of alluded to this idea that, like, our analysis outside of clubs is very, very surface level, even on the shows and even on the AFL website, comparative to what's going on inside the clubs. Mm. And I feel like in the context of this conversation, it's an even bigger divide than what you get in other sports because of the availability problem. Yeah. And it's, again, in my opinion, it's short-sighted. So you could look at, again, you look at the competitors and other people that have done it in bigger businesses like the NFL, like the MLB, like the NBA, which are for-profit organizations. So they wouldn't do it if they weren't going to make money off it. And what they actually do by having this is people find competitive advantages for their franchises. And then often they also find ways of showing the information that means the leads can go and replicate that and make money off it. Mm. So, and that was even the case. You see, like, you see people getting ripped off all the time. And like, that's, that's a terrible part of, you know, like sub, like almost like cult culture, but that's how... A lot of things happen across all different variants as people, like an author will read something on a, on a forum and then go, oh, that's a good concept for a story and then write that story. The same thing happens in the stats, like things like expected goals and all this kind of stuff has come from as from like the grassroots quant community or it's come from students and then the big leagues pick like pick it off and they run with it, which is, again, it's just, it's just how it happens. But it would, it's... That won't happen. Like those those natural evolutions and the exploitation of, of free labor isn't happening in in AFL because the people don't have the access to the information. Mm. So we are kind of stuck at this level of this is what you'll get, and we will only get more nuanced or different stories told if the AF or if Champion Data and the AFL allow this information to be more publicly readily. So broader sort of landscape. We obviously have an AFL media room. So mm-hmm. they have their own media enterprise, which was set up, I think, in 2013 to essentially report and write stories about the game. So when we talk about trusting the AFL to tell their own stories, I'm going to start here by asking what the benefit 
in having an enterprise like the AFL producing the amount of content that they do for the average fan. So how does that benefit the AFL community? Well, it's just more content, I suppose, is how it benefits. Like that's, yeah. And they, if it becomes cost effective for them as a business, like afl.com.au as a business, then yeah, then they'll, then there's incentive to, you know, have more stories and, and reveal more about their, their participants and, and whatever. And, and it, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the, the positive aspects to it. But for kind of traditional media, this has kind of represented a huge shift in the landscape. And so when you talk about whether or not you trust the AFL, do we think that like publications are doing enough of the nitty gritty work that you're not going to get in the content space at the AFL? Like, so the real deep investigative diving is there enough enough of that happening outside the afl's own sphere are there stories to be told i suppose that's just a that's just a journalistic decision it's like what battles do you pick and Mm. do you pick them when do you fight them so i'm sure if there was something and like we see when major stories break like the Essendon drug scandal that being probably the, the best example like they do get reported on because that's you know that's that's what how journalism works that's how newspapers work mm. i think the the issue becomes when is it is it no longer profitable for other businesses to attempt to cover the sports and so like can you compete can you compete with a with a behemoth like afl.com.au and the answer is probably no we've seen that with well as in like our, our traditional mastheads are already failing themselves anyway and when like the model with afl.com.au is almost you use that as marketing to siphon them into subscribing. So like you either go and get, well, you had the free to air option. So you watch more football becomes like a self-promoting tool, which is kind of the issue. I think when you say, do do you trust the AFL to tell their own stories? Is that when you are, when you are self-publishing about your own actions, well, then there's always going to be a conflict but the conflict's greater than others. So yes, like the Age and the Herald Sun in the Victorian setting have a conflict because it's like, well, we want to be on goodish terms with the AFL because, well, A, we want access, we want to be accredited, we want we want access to coaches, so we, we will tell some stories, we won't tell other. Like every journalist always makes a biased and calculated decision when to go with a story because they know that, well, if I go with this story and it doesn't put them in the good light, then I lose that. I lose that contact, I lose my information. That's always going to be the case. But where it becomes super icky, in my opinion, is when... You're a business that profits off only telling good stories about yourself when you are an organization. Yeah, it's the absolute, like it just, the objectivity is always going to be interesting in that Hmm. space. So I guess my kind of broader question really is like, as an everyday AFL fan, so say that you were born, so say you really started only consuming football media after 2013. Yeah. And this has always been the AFL media landscape where the AFL is churning out a huge amount of content. You get your good stuff and you get stuff from the Herald Sun and the Age. Are you actually sitting there and going, there's an objectivity issue here with what's going on with content coming out of the AFL versus content coming out of the Age? Well, I don't think you are. I don't think fans are sitting there and going, there's an objectivity issue. But that's that's the problem, is they don't know. Mm. So when... so. If if the slippery slope happens and then there are no other people to rec- like to report on the AFL, well then when they start making rule changes, when they start doing things to AFLW, when they start doing when they start inventing AFLX and then tipping into AFLX or going on these extravagant trips to China, then who holds them to account? If it's if it's no longer profitable to write about the AFL 
because of all these other things that they do control like by having the monopoly that's kind of like the, the end game is that it does it affect the fan experience probably not does it matter do they need like do the fan does the fan need to know about the af like the afl and how it operates probably but yeah that's the that's the number one question on like journalism i suppose is that is is real journalism is capital j journalism air quotes like profitable and does it is or is it like a public cause but because you can't i don't i never see an environment where the afl.com starts doing that themselves and yes they do have writers that apparently keep you know the afl in check but again that's that's always going to be calculated because that that's their employer you're not going to just start sending off when you're an employer and when that does happen as we've seen in other uh, other industries and, and other sports they usually get the chop yeah because i mean it's one thing to know or to have the man so to speak, saying something to you. Mm. And then it's another thing to kind of have the expectation of how the man would react to a certain yarn. Mm. And so you kind of know how far you can push the button even in your own mind. Like it does, you don't actually necessarily need the person in your ear for them to affect the decisions that you make. Yeah. Um, so final question for this little seg. Are we missing out on stories because of the way that the media landscape is set up? I think so, but I think also the hope is that we can potentially go down the like the athletic route. So in America, there's the the new setup, the the athletic. They're a fully like, subscription only uh, website publication, and they specialize in like localized sports content because it, as the media model changes, it became very hard for local newspapers to stay open. So then they like we're going to fill that void. The only thing again, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but it, you have to have the access to do that. And so, like, from my experience, applying for press accreditation to, to get into a press box, to go to a press conference, uh, getting access to players at clubs, there's all these... That's just kind of a similar thing with Clubland. Like, clubs want to tell their own stories because they have their own websites, because they have their own goals that they need to achieve and their own content that they need to put out. And so if they can tell that story, why would they let you? And that's totally fine. And then they can control that story, which is, again, it makes perfect sense. But, like, so then... Yeah, it just becomes there's all these all these boundaries in the Australian industry of sport, and it's not just the AFL; it's across most sports that you don't see it overseas because it's they've just been more willing to open the doors and go. Well, if people are just telling more stories, if it's easier to tell more stories, whether that's personal, data driven, game reports, whatever, then the the volume of people talking about our league increases. That means we get more money. So like, they've been willing to bite the bullet and go. We'll have faith that. All noise about our sport is good noise. And we've seen that with NBA especially. So that's kind of like, that's kind of the crux of the issue for me is the AFL saying, no, we're, we want to tell the story, we want to own the story, we want to make money off the story, regardless of what that story is, and not think about what their longer-term benefit could be by making others benefit at the same time. So what, if you're speaking or thinking from the AFL's perspective, why take their approach rather than the NBA approach of just opening it up and every bit of content is good content that helps the game in some way because then you you or a you can't control it and b you can't make money off it like if you go out and write a story that i like the like i'm the afl in this situation then i don't make i don't control what you write i can't i can't reprimand you if you write something that i don't disagree with and i can't monetize it because it's on a different platform so that's the short term that's the short term like nfl type philosophy like we own everything everything we do we control we want to we want to not be held account unless we are open to that conversation, whereas the NBA approach has been no like clip up our highlights, make memes out of us, make gifts, share it around, 
get everyone talking about the NBA. And then, yeah, bad things happen. We've been talking about those bad things on this podcast, but people are talking about the NBA more than ever because they're allowed to, because they get the information. And even in the boom of like the, the base, uh, the basketball's version of sabermetrics, we now have the three-point revolution. We now have different positions. We now have people playing different positions at different sizes because people at this quant level we talked about before have been, had the ability to have the access to the data. It's just access, really, is the is the major issue across all things. Um, yeah, which which again is just a, a short, in my opinion, a short term philosophy versus a long term philosophy for the organisations at hand. He's got it. He's got it again. He's putting on a clinic. Ha! Jackie Chan returns, and the pies are on fire at the MCG. Come on! Tucked in the pocket, banana. Oh. How do you like that? Got it. Spins. Well, look out. The train swag. Look at the celebration. <laughs> Give us the shotgun. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Book Club this week, we're going to talk about a couple of different Fox footy shows, both relatively well liked by all members of the pod team here. So we're going to talk about Bob and Open Mike, which have uh, occupied the Tuesday night slot on Fox footy throughout the season. So, Case, you're not the voice of the fans, but the doctor of fan. When you turn on the TV, so you Tuesday night, Fox footy, whatever, mm-hmm. when you turn on any given footy show or talk show or sports show, what are you fundamentally looking for from that experience? So, I mean, my, and this sort of segues out of our two shows that we're talking about, but like the show I watch most consistently is AFL 360. And I watch that primarily because of the conversations that the hosts are having. And for me... I kind of want a bit of a diff, bit of variety in a footy show rather than just a panel show that I think the panel show format's really dry and I've watched that for years and completely over it. Whereas I think 360 brings in enough different people over a few different nights in different segments that have different conversations that talk about different aspects of the game that keeps me interested. So primarily what I want from a good football show is just good conversation that covers a lot of different grounds. And then that sort of segues, I guess, back into these two shows we're talking about is because I think both of those shows do that in different ways as well. So that's why I kind of buy into both of them, but for different reasons. So I just want good footy conversations, basically, as a fan. Because, I mean, the the analytics and that kind of stuff, for me, is somewhat interesting. But I don't particularly want that in a footy show. I want that during my game day coverage. Um, I want a bit of a review on, like, a Monday. But then I want to talk about, like, other things during the week. Otherwise, it's going to get really dry for me. So I'm all about the conversations about the game. So I love Bob. Mm-hmm. But... My question to you is, what do you see in it when you watch it? What What are you turning that on for? Bob is Bob is like a podcast on Fox Footy. It basically is. I know, having listened to some of his podcasting material, yeah. with uh, the one he's doing at the moment with Dave Thornton, they had Wally Daly on earlier. Yeah, it was just a longer version of a very similar interview. But yeah, that's what, it's not even inter- it's not an interview. Which is I, again, I get funny about the Mecklenburg and all that kind of stuff, but it's not an interview in the sense that. Bob's very active, so it's not a traditional journalism interview where you're asking questions and then like like you're you're kind of separate from the from the subject and you're going what are the bits of the puzzle that the audience hasn't seen yet. Bob is just a show where Bob sits down with his mate or a new friend or just an interesting person and has a conversation without any real point. It just goes wherever it needs wherever it goes, and then they stop. 
much like a much like a, the podcast format because the most conversational podcasts are way more like, way more unstructured than a sit down open mic type show where it goes well clearly you're in here for this reason these are the major talking points let's tell the story it's very structured and it's like has an end point almost whereas yeah like bob is as is, is like a wander you're just catching up with a friend for a takeaway coffee let's go wander around the park like that's the show and that's really nice and that's really really quite touching a lot of the times and yeah one of my one of my favorite shows but i think the, the conversation between that and open mic is when i said the uh, modus operandum of fox footy is to make money well, it's like, well, if Bob outrates open mic, well, then why would you have open mic if they're sharing that same Tuesday spot? So both of those shows, to my mind, bring new information to light. Mm-hmm. So open mic does it through a very journalistic, a very rigid... Well, it's antagonistic of, yeah. all the time. Yeah, I'll ask you questions. I'll probably ask you some questions that you don't want to be asked. Yeah. Cool. Bob does it. Very touchy-feely, but I'm going to get you in a position where we're trusting, we're having a good conversation between mates, we'll bring viewers into that, and then you still reveal new information. Mm. So is there a fundamental difference in value? Like, does it matter that one is kind of achieved by a journalistic method and the other is probably not? I just think one is more, like, one is limited. Like, you're never going to get a, a really, like, hard-hitting interview out of out of the Bob show yeah. for Whereas do you feel like Open Mic could kind of move into Bob territory but also not be Bob and it could have the hard hitting with all with a bit of the chummy chummy mate mate well it kind of does he does get like you know Mike Sheen's a very I don't know what the chummy chummy mate mate is <laughs> like a friendly a friendly conversation play on and they've done that before he's had you know brown when he has like you know your, your quintessential clean skin brownlow medalist on it is very chummy chummy tell me about all your touches tell me about all your achievements and then he does go into you know people have had checkered pasts and you know darker history is where he kind of has to kind of, you know, weed out those stories out of them. So I'll stop you there then, because Bob did an interview with Feb. Yeah. So when you watched that interview, did you feel like Bob was wading into territory that wasn't pre-agreed on? Or did you think that it was very much, no, I'm going to get Feb on and Feb knows that we're going to talk about this? Yeah. Or it was Feb. I felt it was like Feb Feb knew what was going to be talked about and then what things going to be alluded to. So if you didn't know anything about Fev and you watched the Bob show, you'd leave going, oh, he went through some stuff, but he seems like a nice guy now. That's cool. That's maybe that's all we need to know. So you don't think that would have been the same from but an open mic? But if he was on mic. open mic, we would dig deeper into his indiscretions and why he left certain clubs and why he never went back to the game and then why he went up north and then all that kind of stuff. We'd go... We'd go deeper into the nitty-gritty of the dark bits as opposed to just alluding to the fact that he he made some mistakes and they affected him. So does that bother you, Case? No, it doesn't bother me because I think the shows are, t- like, they're fundamentally different, but I think they they hold the same value. Like, I see the same value in learning that stuff about Fev as opposed to the stuff that you would learn from Fev from a Bob show. Like, I think they both have the same level of value. I don't see one as better or worse than the other. They're just different. They're different stories. And I probably subscribe maybe naively to the notion that all this sort of content is journalism to me. So I would call Bob a journalist in this context and I know that that's controversial, but I think what he does do is the same approach 
as what any journalist would do, and that's form a relationship with his subject and ask questions. And he's asking questions that he want to ask, wants to ask. Hmm. Like he is making a deliberate choice not to do that hard-hitting style of journalism because that's not what he wants to do. Like he's crafted this show to be what he wants to do, which is more conversational and you know, opening up about different things outside of footy and talking more about like lifestyle stuff and cultural stuff and political stuff. Um, and I think that is journalism because you walk away learning something new about the conversation that he's having with these people. And that's to me, that's news, that's journalism, that's an interview. So I see them as the same, but they just give you something different. And that's why I like both. And I get something different from both. And I wouldn't class one as like better or worse than the other or one is not journalism and the other one as, I don't know, how do you say it? the little J and the big little J? Little J, big J. But I also sometimes wonder whether, uh, and maybe there is, like I think there is definitely a big J that has to exist in all parts of society. But I guess the question for me and the kind of qualifier in terms of whether the programs are valuable is just whether they give me information that I didn't have before and whether they take me somewhere that I haven't been. And then I guess there's also a br- brutal, like, did I enjoy this? Mm-hmm. And they're kind of the, the qualifiers. And I guess that I think sometimes you can get caught up in the nitty gritty of like, oh, was the line of questioning journalistic? And yeah. I don't know whether that should be the gold standard well, in, my, in all occasions. Well, my hypothesis would then would be, so say, say for some reason, Fox Footy says open mic is not a sustainable product. It's rating poorly. We'll just get rid of it. Bob can just have a whole season. So now our only interview, one-on-one interview show is Bob. We get Gil on as the AFL CEO onto the Bob show. We're not going to talk about things that are important. You still might have an enjoyable time. You might know some more things about Gil, but you're not going to get like a Lee sales versus the PMs type of thing, which I think is necessary at some stage for someone to do when it comes to those, when it comes to those things. And so the, 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 I suppose the, the privilege, the ABC is never really privileged, but like the 730 report is it doesn't matter if that show rates or not, it's getting made. And so someone is holding a person in governance to account. And that's kind of what, that's where it's not every episode of open mic, but like that's the power I would say of open mic is be challenging to go, well, let's go and talk to people and make it, maybe make it more topical like that show. And then go and have people like Gil on for half an hour for a Lee sales versus PM tete-a-tete, which I think is what's missing in the landscape. Because you, you get criticism, but it's only, you know, it's the Sunday footy show on Channel 9 critiquing the AFL with three-minute segments before an ad. There's no long-form critique of, you know, why haven't you funded the AFLW more? Why did you admit that the AFLX was a mistake? Why are we still going to China? Like... Why are we playing around with the rules? Why are we seeing an increase in injuries? All that kind of thing. Yeah. Or increase in mental health. Or why have we done this? Or what? Like, there are questions that I think are important to be asked, but probably aren't profitable, profitable programs. And the only program I've seen in the landscape at the moment is an open mic style show. It, it needed to change from its current format, but that's the kind of show I see being the gateway to that. But, if if the only if the only like purpose of Fox Footy is to make money, then there's no need to have that show. But they also, I mean, there, there's an ongoing relationship between the broadcaster and the host organisation. So that's like fundamentally say that okay, Gil was just magically couldn't turn down an interview request anywhere, and you could get him on seven thirty. It plays out really differently to anything that would play out on 
Fox footy, I imagine. Perhaps with the exception of open mic, but then I imagine that the incumbent CEO really... I mean, like, he's, Gil basically sticks to the prearranged media spots. Yeah, and he's and people that seem very friendly to him. Like, he doesn't go out and... Like, he's not going to pick Lee Sales to be the person that would interview him. No. He'd probably go, you know what, Bob's probably a great thing for me. Yeah, or Jared on all formats of Jared. Like... <laughs> And so that, that in itself is a, like, that is a problem. And that is why having the, like, so I guess the, another question, I guess, if you take it out of the Fox footy, could the open mic show, this is an ABC brainchild, right? We're in an ABC whip all of a sudden. We've changed company, right? (laughs) And the ABC are going, Lee, I'm sick of you doing politicians. No one cares about politics anymore. It's bollocks. Not my opinion, just hypothetical. Lee, you're now our leading sports journalist. So you're going to get big people, FIFA, um, swimming Australia, tennis Australia, and you're just going to nail them, right? Like, is that is there a landscape that exists where that could happen? No. Well, <laughs> it, well it did. So there was Beyond the Lines, which was an M- uh, ESPN show in America, in America, and that's what they that's what they did. They talked about big issues and they got people on to discuss big issues. I, I it's hard when you're for profit. So like, uh, like. Fox, like the perfect example would be ABC. And again, it'd be changing offsiders slightly. And offsiders do that a little bit. So that's the ABC show on a Sunday where they go and they'll have like a, like a 10 minute interview sometimes with a prominent person in sport. And some, and then they have a, like a panel discussion sometimes about the issues, but it's kind of sits in between that, you know, that recap panel show type thing. Well, it's not insiders, is it? To the same extent. No. Like insiders, they do grill the politician. Yeah. It, that doesn't happen in the same vein mm. as offsiders, despite the fact that you know insiders and offsiders are like, well, okay, how how dissimilar can they be? I suppose like for for mine then, as like consumers of sport, like is there is there? I so I personally think there's a space in the marketplace for a a critique interview show like a seven thirty report. Would there be a fan like a fan engagement with it? Because I don't think seven thirty report rates that highly. Regardless of who they get on. I don't know. I don't watch it. It's the same time as AFL 360. There you go. <laughs> um, but I but mean, it's on there because you can clip yeah. it and it's important and it's a record. and Yeah, whatever. of course. Yeah, and the ABC has the responsibility to broadcast Correct. that content. Um, I mean, I, I think we're in a market where that kind of content is going to be profitable, really. Because, I mean, like you were talking before about with access like anything now that gives you more access to somebody's life story is profitable at this point because we haven't had much of it for a long time so I mean I don't see shows like open mic going anywhere I only see more type of shows coming into this landscape so I think this conversation will be interesting perhaps in a few years time when we might get to a point where we are inundated with it and we have too much but I think right now maybe your casual footy fan or your person who's not so much engaged in football probably thinks there is too much football coverage because we hear that all the time, that we're saturated with it, but we're not really saturated with that inner sanctum stuff. So I think right now this is not an issue. I think there definitely is a market for more and more and more, but I think what'll be interesting that once we get it, what that looks like in a few years' time, because I think it'll take a while for us to get the stuff that we're talking about for all the barriers that you guys talked about earlier because that is going to be the issue. But I think we are seeing a bit of flexibility coming through with that because I think people at AFL Media and the AFL are seeing how much they can 
win, I guess, if they do open up the doors a little bit. So I think we will see some change in this space. Well, especially the two shows that I think are around the corner for Fox Footy and other Australian sports are their version of Last Chance U. So yeah. something to do with the draft that's like access to all areas and like... And McQuayle kind of did it as a book. Yeah, but like... It's a book. It's yeah. a book. And uh, an AFL version of Hard Knocks, which yes. is your pre-season. Yeah. So my question would be, will the clubs give that up? Because uh, like, Carlton did their journey, but again, talking, and the whole, probably the whole podcast has been about access, is that even at TAC level, it's still very AFL regulated. Yeah. You're, in, like, you're not getting open door policy. So like the, the fact that... That's different though, because you're like, it's, it's juniors. Yeah. So it's difficult, but yeah. that's for a whole other that's, reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reason, yeah. But or a similar thing of going to like a VFL club. Werribee. And, yeah, yeah. Werribee, that kind of thing. Go down to the Scooby-Doo's Yeah, Werribee. But, um, but yeah, Hard Knocks for mine would be the one that surely is around the corner. Yeah, and I think well. you are starting to see that kind of stuff, but it's they're on smaller scales. Like, you know, the Bulldogs documentaries that came out of 2016 that were directed by A.D. Brown was, you know, because he had the relationship there with the club and they kind of – it was mostly – Actually, that was a lot of that was driven by Bob Murphy himself and them having that relationship and that trust to be able to do something. Um, and then, you know, the Collingwood documentary that's coming out this week. But that was born of the one of the directors working in their media department for a couple of years and then he left to freelance. So he already had those relationships built. So I think we will see more of this stuff because more and more people are doing it and we can see how powerful and how amazing it is. But I think clubs are going to want ownership of it and that's where, like, the difficulties will be. So, I don't know. I think for... Because that's the super interesting about Hard Knocks. Yeah. Is that last year, the Browns didn't come off very well. Right. They looked like a, they looked like yep. a shit show. Definitely. And so that would never have gone to air an AFL landscape. They would have looked at that and been like, sorry. Kind of like when we had in our initial chat with Conrad was like, mm. uh, yes, I remember. I was literally yeah. thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, you get to write this book, but if we don't like where, how it reads, you're not publishing it. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fear about showing vulnerability in our business, which like used to be expected for professional sport. But I don't know. I kind of feel like it'll just take that one club to do something like that. You just need someone to sort of take that first step, which is going to take a while. Like I don't see it happening Although, um, soon. Just, but as soon as someone does it, we'll get more of it. Saying that, in the last like three years, we've had a book where the writer spent the whole year with Richmond. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. had a documentary where we had five characters at Collingwood followed for an entire season. Mm-hmm. So, like, there is still yeah. degrees of access. Yeah. Like, it's, I would say, like, both of those things look. But, but it's pseudo access, though. That's my bugbear. It, yeah, is, okay. it is access that says, it's access with conditions. Oh, yeah, no, I 100% I agree. Think Everything is always going to be accessed with conditions. Like even the what you see from Hard Knocks yeah, is yeah, yeah. still going to have its caveats, as raw as we think it is. Yeah. But yeah. It's, there's definitely less conditions in, sure. in those yeah. shows. Sure, because their media landscape is so different. Yeah. And the great yeah. question is always like, what sign-off, have you given them like editorial capacity to actually say, no, we're getting rid of something? Because mm. there's always an element whenever you write about someone that they, could, they might not be happy with what's written. That's always a risk. Mm -hmm. But more often, like, I mean, in true, like, journalistic practice, they don't have an opportunity to change that. And that's kind of where the line is still there. So I don't know. I don't know whether you'll ever get to that point with access. You're right. It is pseudo-access in that sense. If you just write a profile of someone and you royally stitch them up, you know you're probably not getting an interview from the same club again. Mm -hmm. So is that the same? How different is that to the club being able to veto 
and that's that's kind of that's kind of the crux of my yeah my kind of conversation about this is that sometimes there is an important story that needs to be told and you're going to burn a bridge and you just you just do it you just pull the trigger and you go cool but like this story needs to be told whereas like these businesses won't do it the broadcast rights holders won't do it but the external like the age journalist like caro how many bridges do you reckon caro's burned over 15 years. Oh, a lot. So many. Yeah. And so that is what you still need in the game. The interesting thing is, and I was thinking about the investigations point or the point we were making about like woolly stuff like open mic. Like, mm. did 360, and I, my hypothesis would be that 360 rated better when the supplement saga was going on than yeah, it, than it would in the average. Would. Yeah. So, so I guess like even with big like stories about power misbehaving, whether it's the club, whether it's the AFL are still of the public interest. So if you create that or you find the dark things in the corners, people will be attracted to the show. Does Fox Footy have the appetite for it is a different question because I do think there's a public appetite for that shining the light around. Mm. How much... So probably the last little uh, you know, tangent of this is how much do you think Fox Footy or mainstream broadcast journalists and presenters think about their impact on the fans. So Jared's probably, Jared, yeah, we talk about Jared's kind of saturation of the market. He has four hours a day, basically, to talk about what's going on in the AFL landscape. Is he going, I have a responsibility to make sure that people know the difference between when I'm reporting and when I'm opining and having an opinion? Or is he just going, I'm Jared. This is the Jared Show, which he literally is the Jared Show. It's called Waitley. And, like, do we think the rest of the Fox footy team has the same... Like, if you go onto an online publication and you read an article, all the articles in the age that are opinion are in the same... They're in a comment section. So they're marked and clearly labelled as commentary. I think one of the issues for the footy media landscape is we have everyone doing all different things and we have so much radio and TV that we have the reporter will come on, report something, and then two seconds later, we'll give an opinion. And so, like, what hat are you wearing at any given time just gets so lost in podcasting in radio and in TV. But even like a show like 360, like they will, they will switch between reporting and giving opinion sentence by sentence. Yeah. But then you'll watch, like fans could just watch 360 and be like, oh, that was all just information. Like that's just what it is. I think that's all news <laughs> and all TV really. Hmm. Um, Particularly TV. Yeah. Unless you're literally watching a news bulletin. But even then, like, there's a fine line between, like, you watch an ABC news bulletin and then all of a sudden they'll have three experts on to talk about it. Mm. And then you're like, okay, hang on, am I getting... Like, so it is a very blurred Mm. thing. And I just think that that goes back to the individual, as a consumer nation of media consumers, just being able to differentiate and work out. And you've... I mean, the way that it lies, you basically just have to be able to work out what you're watching Mm. off your own back. Otherwise, you're cooked. And we saw that, to reference back to a previous book club, like we saw that on the Adam Goods documentary that was aired on Tenplay, was that people don't know the difference. And yeah, that's the problem when essentially what is an entertainment business, Fox Footy, is also in charge of presenting news and facts mm. and, and changing opinions. Well, that was the thing, with, and we spoke about that on that issue. It was, it was like no one double-checked or fact-checked the opinions and the facts that the opinions were based on. They just kind of bought the opinion and bought Mm -hmm. into it without doing their own fact-checking. And that can occur across all manner of... It it occurs on 360 
Jared makes an assertion about where Essendon are at. You know, do we then go and check the ladder and check the different statistics over 15 weeks? Do you actually go and cross-check that or just go, you know what, Robbo thinks Essendon are cooked? Yeah, I don't know. I like to put a bit of trust in the public. I like to believe in my footy fan that we kind of can draw those lines. But as you said, we do have history of knowing that sometimes that's not always the case. Well, and you talk about different people being attracted to footy for different reasons. They have their different rationales for going. Mm -hmm. And much the same, I I just think there's different natural levels of engagement with the news and the TV. So some people will critically analyse the news report Yeah, and look at and sit there and go guess what? I'm a nerd. I want to think about the objectivity and the biases. I personally think everyone should be doing that, but that's just not the case. People engage at different levels. I would like to think that every journalist and presenter is doing that. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The People's Game. Hope you enjoyed us. Enjoyed us? Yes, enjoyed us. Hit us up on all forms of social media. Uh, Rate us on iTunes, etc. Because apparently at the end of the podcast I have to ask you...